to Books and Beyond with your host, Alison. Join us for half an hour of information, entertainment, reading recommendations and beyond. Brought to you by Auckland Libraries. I know this girl and she works in a library, yeah, standing there behind the counter, willing to help with all the problems that I am. No my hide my Kiara and welcome to Books and Beyond Literary Lounge with Alison and Inika. Brought to you from our home studios. Kiara Inika. Kiara Alison. Well, happy Pride, Inika. Oh, happy Pride to you too, Alison. Thank How's you so much. Been? Oh well, you know, it's um it's it's a month, isn't it? It's but the two of the twenty two. So um this year, twenty twenty two, marks um actually fifty years of pride in Tamaki Makoto. Oh, which hi. is just fabulous, isn't it? So um and during Pride our, our rainbow communities come together to celebrate our unique mix of cultures and sexualities and gender identities in Aotearoa, New Zealand's most super diverse city. And how. Now, as you will have heard, um, this year's Pride Festival has understandably been cancelled due to COVID, but there's still heaps of ways for Auckland to celebrate the last few days of Pride, what it stands for in a more socially distanced way. We've got heaps of public art installations across the city, particularly downtown and around Freiburg Square, and some of our best-known landmarks like the Sky Tower and Harbour Bridge are lit up with rainbow Pride colours. Oh yes, those color, those lights have made me so happy, and because um, the, the solar powered lights on the Harbour Bridge are shining in rainbow colours every night um, from nine pm till midnight until the end of the Pride Festival. Mm, so um, I really geek out about those because um, I think there's like a hundred thousand little LEDs. All it's a fame thing, isn't it? What they can yeah. do. Yeah. Yeah, well, our festivals, they come and go, but I have to say Pride is all year round in our libraries. It sure is, and we we just love our rainbow communities, and we love our diverse selection of books and other resources. Yeah, absolutely. Well, we're going to kick off um, today's Books and Beyond with um, a book that I read over the Christmas holidays, actually, and it's called All the Young Men, A Memoir of Love, AIDS and Chosen Family in the American South, and it's by Ruth Coker-Burks and Kevin Carr O'Leary. Now, it was published in 2020, and it's available in our adult nonfiction collection. Now, this is a really fascinating memoir. It's about a long-standing LGBTQI plus ally and advocate from Hot Springs, Arkansas. Not exactly a hotbed of where you might think allyship sits. Um, Now, Ruth Coker-Burks is the subject and she's also the author of this book. And it's been written with the help of Kevin Carr O'Leary, who's a gay writer who's known for his collaborative writing on um, best-selling celebrity memoirs that you may have read um, by Jessica Simpson and Gabriel Union. So he's he's a really fabulous writer. um, So I really encourage you to pick this up um, and find out a bit more about it. Now, All the Young Men, um, the story starts in 1986. So Ruth was visiting a friend in hospital and she meets a young man who's dying of AIDS-related pneumonia. Now, this young man's family's disowned him and even the staff are reluctant to enter his room for his care, which is a terrible, terrible oh, situation. Yes. Now, Ruth's got a heart of gold. She stays with him until he, he sadly passes the next morning and she ends up scattering his ashes in her family plot because the family wants nothing to do with him alive or dead. It's so sad. 
Um, anyway, this this small act um, starts being um, sort of growing. Her name gets passed around the local hospitals and they begin to call her any time a patient with AIDS is admitted. Um, and generally, because this is the mid-80s, this is really at death's door. Um, there's little to no effective treatments at the time that we're talking about. Now, Ruth doesn't really know much about AIDS, HIV. She doesn't really know what she's stepping into. You know, um, because of all the fear and shame surrounding AIDS and HIV, particularly in the conservative South, means there's very little access to information and support at the time. But um, she's really, a, you know, she's a Southern charmer. And you mm. may have met some of those in your time, Alison. Um, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm a lot of... <laughs> yeah. <laughs> she wangles herself into medical libraries and meetings with other professionals or I should say with professionals she's not a professional herself and she starts to grow and share what she's learning along her journey now she's a really tenacious woman you have to be in this situation um, very practical she's a problem solver and a real uh, people wrangler um, she's leaning on doctors and funeral homes to help her after hours, mostly in secret. She learns how to take blood samples from patients and to remove fluid from congested lungs. And she starts a program where she collects um, leftover antiviral meds from patients who have passed on so that she can pass them on to patients who can't afford them, who are still still living. Now, you hear through the story that Ruth kind of on the margins of her own community herself. She's a, a devoted, devout churchgoer, um, but she has become recently divorced so she's, and she's a single mum. And uh, so she's sort of starting to be on the outs there. And as her profile rises as an advocate um, for um, the LGBTQI community, she finds herself shunned. Um, really effectively. Um, so she starts creating this found family for herself and her daughter. Um, she becomes best mates with the local drag bar owner and his partner, who's the star performer there. Um, she gets to know them very, very well, and they start to help her to grow her sphere of influence within the gay community. And um, she helps to distribute information about safe sex and HIV. Um, she even gets up into the ear of up-and-coming Arkansas politician Bill Clinton. Ah, yeah. I think I've heard of him. And you might have, eh? <laughs> so with no medical background, she creates this network of care and bringing in as many resources as she can and she sees um, she find, uh, helps peop, uh, roughly a thousand men who've been abandoned by their families um, find their final resting places um, as well. So this book covers kind of the from the mid 80s through to the mid 90s. Um, it's such an inspiring story, very gutsy and it really shows how the right person at the right time can just make such a huge difference within their local community and wider. Um, you can really get a sense of Ruth's warmth and her humanity and her humour under some really difficult circumstances. Now, it might sound a little bit like a great white hetero saviour read, um, but I have to say there's a strong sense of sharing the stories and the experiences in the book so that they're not forgotten on behalf of all her friends who were lost far too soon and who supported her in their own way too. Um, if you're a fan of um, Russell T Davies' miniseries, It's a Sin, that um, came out last year. It was set in the 1980s in London, um, followed a group of friends who were going through the HIV epidemic. Um, you would find all the young men a really good companion piece to this. Um, and if you haven't seen It's a Sin, you can borrow that from our libraries on DVD or you can get it on TVNZ's On Demand as well. I'm so glad that you mentioned it's a sin and um, um, how you've noticed how they, the two would pair up very well. Mm. 
I just adored that series. I found it so powerful and emotional. But I must admit, I cried buckets of tears watching it. I know, but, and you may well do so with this book too. Yeah, um, yeah. It's um, yeah, it's very powerful too. Powerful read. Yeah. Oh, good. I can't wait to read it. Well, look, this sort of feeds in actually quite nicely to um, my next um, to our next book. Um, and speaking of inspiring and gutsy women, mm-hmm. now this one's also from the USA, um, and it's called Real Queer America: LGBT Stories from the Red States, and it's by a writer called Samantha Allen, uh, published in 2019, and it's available in hard copy non-fiction and also as an overdrive e-audio book read by the author herself so um now you know how i like a good roadie and a good road trip memoir <laughs> you do so this is what it is it's a it's a six-week road trip that um samantha allen chronicles um and this trip she took in the summer of 2017 um so we're looking at really conservative times in america mm. And she visited um, the so-called red states to document and discover their unexpectedly vibrant queer communities. Um, And a note for our Kiwi readers that when you say red in America, it equals conservative or Republican. It's kind of the opposite of how we categorise politics in New Zealand. Um, So anyway, Samantha's aim in writing the book was to challenge that long-held narrative that queer people flee the Bible Belt, sort of heartland red states, and they flee those states to go to the coastal blue bastions like LA and New York, San Francisco. And um, so um, through um, numerous stories that she has of um, encounters in small conservative towns right across the Bible Belt, Samantha argues that queerness thrives everywhere, um, and perhaps even more so in states like Indiana, Texas, and Tennessee. Mm. Precisely, and the reason for that is, she says, because there's still much, uh, still so much advocacy work to do. Mm. So. Now, um, Samantha's openness about her own story um, really helps, I think, um, the book. So she grew up a Mormon, um, living an angst-filled double life in in the state of Utah. Um, And she came out as transgendered and um, eventually met her future wife in an elevator at the Kinsey Institute of Sex in Indiana. Um, So the story that she writes about herself is so honest and it really invites huge respect, I, I would say. She she also writes um, with a really respectful and a loving curiosity about people in the LGBTQI plus community. And she also blends it with kind of national level reporting on um, political um, and historical rainbow issues. Um, now, it, there's one interesting part. When she's in Texas, she writes about going to a rally um, protesting against that brutal bathroom bill. Um, you know, you might remember that it was an attempt to restrict people's use of bathrooms to the. Um, I can't even say. Um, you know, to so you, <laughs> you. I'm not laughing. I mean, I'm <laughs> sort of. It's Around so assigned to, gender, is it? Assigned, assigned gender, that's right, yes. Yeah. So it's like, um, 
you know, there's a, a picture on the door of the bathroom. Oh, yes. And that has to match the assigned gender on your birth certificate. Oh, good grief. So complicated. Um, and it was just so cruel. Um, and um, very relevant to the book because Samantha has to navigate public bathrooms mm. right throughout her trip. But she quotes this woman um, from the Texas protest, and I agree with this so much, who said... I'd far rather share a bathroom with a trans woman than with a bigot. <laughs> and isn't that a great slogan? Yeah, put that on a T-shirt. Yeah, oh, absolutely. That's one for the, the shirt. But um, overall, I think Samantha Allen pre- presents quite an optimistic look at states that you might expect to be hostile to LGBTQI plus identified folks. Um, and... Yeah, she um, stays with a um, a transgender mayor from a, a small town in in Texas, a, a town called New Hope, mm. um, and she um, goes to a um, an LGBTQI youth um, and family safe house in Utah, uh, where all the young people there that come there for refuge are from Mormon families. Mm. But in fact, they're actually quite supported by their families too so she's um finding a lot of positive positive stuff she asks why in this day and age with everything being so expensive she says why would queer people want to even try and live in unaffordable cities like new york or san francisco Mm. When there are so many mid-sized cities in the heartland of America where people can get decent jobs, they can afford to buy a house, mm. and she says they can be relentlessly gay. <laughs> but I must say, she does temper this sort of message that she's got of, you know, come and live in the American heartland. Oh. She tempers it with a, a good sensible dose of intersectional caution um she's very aware of her privilege um and she points out that when you're white and queer or you're white and trans plus able-bodied plus well-educated your situation experience is probably going to be quite different to that of being black and queer or black and trans. Mm. Um, so um, she really acknowledges that, that different people's mileage is going to vary in mm. these Completely. small towns. But um, it's I really enjoyed it. It's engaging, it's fun, um, and there's a lot of humour in it, even though it's a serious book. Um, suitable for anyone who likes a good travel um road trip memoir and you know whether you're either in or outside of the lgbtqi plus community it's a great one oh that sounds really good allison well we are heading to the blue states now i'll just let you know oh, good. <laughs> with my <Yes>. next book <laughs> so my next book is um called the stonewall reader and it was um, published by the New York Public Library. Um, and it was actually pulled together. It's a collection, a uh, an, little anthology collection, pulled together from the New York Public Library's um, uh, queer archives. So they have an incredible um, archive at New York Public Library, which is filled with the stories and writing from key figures in the American LGBTQI plus pride movement. So this little book um, was produced in 2019, 
and it was to accompany Stonewall 50, which was an exhibition that was honouring the 50th anniversary of the Stonewall riots, which happened in the summer of 1969, a time we often talk about. Yes, <laughs> that's the truth. Yeah, we sure do. <laughs> well, the Stonewall Reader is, is just a little book, but it's absolutely packed full of amazing writing. It's divided into three sections, so it's before, during and after St- Stonewall. So it's through the voices of the community at the beginning of the book, you hear of all of the secret second lives that people were living and of being sidelined by society and then how those conservative administrations of the 1950s in the States began a more active and um, and violent discrimination against LGBTQI people. So they shifted um, from a kind of ignore and and it'll go away kind of a policies um, to policies of public outings and shaming through the courts and the media, targeted police stings and workplace witch hunts where people would lose their job if they Mm. were um, found to be gay. Um, It's goes into interviews with the founders of America's first national gay rights organizations. So from the in the East, New York's the Mattachine Society and San Francisco's Daughters of Belatus, um, who discuss how their work for equal rights took inspiration and strength from other civil rights movements of the time that were happening, of which, of course, there were many. Mm. Um, they also talk about how they helped to build that solidarity and momentum for change right across the states with lots of grassroots activism, um, newsletter distribution, social networks and and get-togethers so that people could share their experiences and plan together and see that they weren't alone. And then they continued growing that with public awareness campaigns, protests and then later on legal action. Then in the second section, you've got a multi-voice account of the, the Stonewall riots themselves from those who are there. So um, for those of you who may not have heard too much about it, the Stonewall riots um, were kind of a spontaneous uprising, which happened after a late night police raid on the Stonewall Bar in Greenwich Village. And the riots grew over several, several days and nights. Um, I think sort of between three and five days. It seems to differ from the accounts. Um, but the way that it's described, you get all these individual snapshots of the different moments um, from the riots, and it makes for such an immersive and fascinating read um, about such an a, a amazing and interesting um, jumping-off point for the for the queer community. Um, a couple of images that stuck out in my mind were um, a lesbian woman being grabbed by the police and thrown into a police car, and then other her um, helper. Uh, her friends pulling her out of the far window of the oh. car, um, a chorus line of drag queens high kicking and chanting "Gay is good" right through the streets of of Greenwich. Fabulous, yeah, Fabulous. pretty amazing. Um, mm. Oral history um, coming out in this book. Yeah. Now, um, the author Edmund White um, is has written an introduction to the book, and he sees the Stonewall Rights as a sea change event for both the LGBTQI plus community, but also for society at large. Um, from being seen as, in his words, criminals, sinners, mentally ill, to becoming seen as members of a minority group who are facing extreme discrimination. Um, The third section of the book looks at all those changes in legislation and in society in the states that followed Stonewall. Um, You know, a great example of the the lasting impacts of, of these this event, um, you know, is the bill banning conversion therapy that was passed just a few weeks ago in Aotearoa, New Zealand. Um, a great example of that work that still continues. Um, although, of course, we need to always remember that there's so much more progress to be made. And, of course, there's many countries in the world where progress has stalled or even gone backwards. Mm. So, 
Yeah, this is a great little primer. I highly recommend it um, for those who want an overview or a start of a 10 on the Pride movement in America. Uh, it's own voice, inclusive and diverse. It's got acclaimed authors um, and leaders and activists in the movement, um, such as Audre Lorde, Edmund White, who I mentioned before, Barbara Gittings, Marsha Johnson. But there's many other similarly engrossing stories from you know less well-known changemakers in that community too. Wonderful. What a great resource. Mm. I'm, I'm so glad we've got that in our collection. Well, look, um, I wanted to give us a, a preview, something that's um, a New Zealand book that's just been released in time for Pride. We've got a number of copies ordered, so this is one we want you to get in the queue now to be one of the first to read it. And um, it's called 30 Queer Lives, Conversations with LGBTQIA plus New Zealanders. And it's by Matt McAvoy, um, just published in 2022. So now 30 Queer Lives, it's going to be so good. It's um, a book that explores the lives and struggles and successes of LGBTQI plus New Zealanders. And the author, um, Matt McAvoy, who's written um, quite a number of non-fiction um, New Zealand books, he... Um, says that when he was a young gay Kiwi kid growing up, books about all blacks and Ed and Hillary, you know, they were everywhere. Mm. While stories about other New Zealanders struggled for a place in the shelves of school libraries and bookshops. And um, Matt says that, um, and I quote, the, the singular elevation of the sports hero genre made us feel that perhaps we weren't real New Zealanders. To this day, there still has not been a book to celebrate queer expression and contribution to New Zealand life and show how LGBTQIA plus people strengthen our rich culture. Unquote. Um, yeah, a really interesting point. So um, this book, it's, um, it's as bold and as bright as the rainbow community itself. It's really going to fill that gap. Um, and it explores the lives of queer people across New Zealand society, uh, from north to south, mm. um, from soldiers, celebrities, lawyers, drag queens, business people and Olympians, um, farmers, whapapine. Um, and there's a huge range of people in the book, um, including um, Grant Robertson, um, Gareth Farr, Chloe Swarbrick, Takunda Musundiwa, Leilani Tomaniko, Ariki Brightwell, Tom Sainsbury, Carol Bue, Etta Bollinger, um, Edward Cowley and more. We've, we've spoken of some of those figures before mm. in our podcast. So a really diverse cast of characters uh, from the very young to the not so young anymore and a range of genders. It's culturally diverse and um, it's got quite a good representation from the disability community as well. Mm. So 30 stories that are designed to encourage empathy and understanding, challenge stereotypes and offer courage and hope. And I think this is going to be such an important addition uh, to our social history. Absolutely. Yeah, so that's one where I want to get in the in the queue for that. Oh, yes. Yeah. Now, I think I've probably still got time. Uh, speaking of, um, we're talking about some kick-ass characters. And we sure are. A, a high-kicking kick-ass woman. Um, <laughs> Megan Rapinoe, um, uh, 
American professional soccer player, um, has written a memoir called One Life, um, published 2020. So for those that um, don't know of her, Megan Rapino, so you apparently say Rapino like Pinot Gris. Okay. For some people, I used to think it was Rapino, but got to think Pinot Gris. So <laughs> Megan Rapino Gris, um, she's a soccer player and she was a member of that wonderful US women's national soccer team um, that won the World Cup in 2015 and 2019. And they won a gold medal, um, one of the, I think it was the London Olympics. And she was also named Best FIFA Women's Player in 2019. Mm. So she's absolutely huge. Um, over the years, she's become quite a galvanising force for social change. Um, and in her book, she urges all of us to take up the, that mantle um, with big actions, small actions, just to continue to fight for justice and equality in our communities. Um, and over the last few years, she's become quite an icon and a, mm. an ally to millions. You know, she's spoken out boldly on the issues that matter a lot. Um, she's become one of the big faces of the equal pay movement in sports yeah. um, and her tireless activism for LGBTQI plus rights has earned her global support. But um, she gives us, it's quite a thoughtful and yet unapologetic discussion of social justice and politics um, alongside the story of her life so far. Now, Megan was raised in a conservative small town in California, of all places. Mm -hmm. um, she was the youngest of six kids in a uh, quite a working class family, but she was only four years old when she she kicked her first soccer ball around the backyard and, and showed some promise. But her parents encouraged her love for the game, but they also urged her to continually, continually volunteer at food banks and homeless shelters. Mm. And her passion for community it never wavered throughout her high school or her university years, all the way up to 2016, where she become became famous for. Um, she took a, a knee during the national anthem, and this was in solidarity with um, the NFL player Colin Kaepernick. Um, mm. And that was where you kneel down while the national anthem plays. And this was to protest racial in, injustice and police brutality. It was a, a kind of part of the Black Lives Matter movement. And she was the first profile white athlete to do so. So she got a huge backlash for this. Um, but it didn't really compare to the overwhelming support she received. Mm. She became a, such a force of social change, both on and off the field. Um, she became one of Donald Trump's biggest enemies when she refused to visit the White House after a World Cup, um, after that win in 2019. So a very brave woman indeed. Yes. Um, you know, she discusses the in the book the the obligation we all have to speak up and and um, the impact that each of us can have on our communities. So she always says, step outside yourself, be more, be better, be bigger than you've ever been before, and do what you have to do. And gee, I agree with that. Oh, what a great woman! 
Mm. Oh, absolutely. Very inspiring. Well, yes. we just got a couple of minutes. Um, so I'm just going to mention a book that we will revisit again in more depth in another episode. But I urge you to get into the queue um, at the libraries for a new anthology called Out Here, an anthology of Takatapui and LGBTQIA plus writers from Aotearoa. And this is edited by writers Chris Tse and Emma Barnes. We have it in our nonfiction collection and as an over drive ebook and it includes um, poems, short stories, comics, screenplays um, and excerpts from larger works. Now there is a bit of a queue on it and we haven't been able to get our hands on it so we are going to um, to re- revisit it again but just as a little intro and a taster for you, in the introduction um, the editors say their goal was to always curate a wide ranging anthology that brings together writers of as of many gender and sexual identities as possible all walking across different genres. Now, their initial call for submissions was three years ago, and um, it was very important to the editors that this was a collection that embraced receiving whatever writing its authors wanted to share, and that it included works from both established and previously unpublished writers and everyone in between. Now, they managed to get more than 200 writers getting in touch, and only 30% were on their radar, so I think that they have massively um, achieved their goal. Um, They've managed to, you know, with the collaborative approach, they brought many community members' voices and writing out into the world on their own terms, and I think that's just a wonderful, wonderful thing. Um, Apparently, only 30% of those writers were on their radar, so, you know, well done to them for bringing those people uh, into, into print. Yes, what a cool thing, and to lift up some new voices. Wow, that is awesome. Yeah, we will come back to that. Um, We've run out of time again, sadly. So, look, I just wanted to thank our listeners for tuning in today, and especially for those of you who have felt like you are different or you don't belong at any time in your life. Know that you have value and that you are loved. So take care and be kind to yourselves. Hārērā. This program was brought to you by Auckland Libraries. Find us online at aucklandlibraries.govt.nz and catch the program next Sunday at 9.35pm on 104.6 FM or anytime online at planetaudio.org.nz slash books and beyond.